Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. Remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you something, people. I uh, I got fast food this morning. I haven't got fast food for like four months. And, and I, I got a coupon in the mail from Burger King. And Joanne went and did a, uh, a rain, the uh, rape awareness uh, victims walk. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some junk food. So I go to Burger King and I have a buy two, whatever. So I go and I, I specifically ask, I specifically ask for a sausage croissant and a bacon croissant. Now, I have not had fast food for, as I said, three months. I get home, two sausage croissants. And I'm like, I call them. I go, hey, can, can I, can I, what am I going to do? And they go, well, uh, next week uh, you can come back. I go, no, no, you don't understand. I don't eat junk food. I, I, I wanted a goddamn bacon croissant. So I sat there and I had to eat two sausage croissants. And uh, that's it. I'm just ranting. Anyway, this is our first day in a new studio. And I, I, have, a, I have a great guest. I'm, I'm very excited. As you guys know, I'm a huge 80s fan. I love the 80s. And we have Michael Austin. How you doing? Very well, thank you. He looks... Sorry to hear about that sandwich. <laughs> no, 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 you're in good shape. I mean, do you, know, do you, do you ever eat junk food or no? Now, now and again. Now uh, and again. If I'm tr- like I'm off to Salt Lake City next fr- Thursday and I'm driving because I love to drive. I hate to fly. And uh, I'll stop for, you know, coffees. And I may, like you, I may grab an Egg McMuffin or something. <laughs> but generally, I don't eat junk food. But, uh, you know. So, so you you hate to fly? I mean, you oh, you, I you're, hate flying. Yeah. You're a rock star. You've you mm-hmm. traveled the world. You're from England, mm-hmm. and you came over to America and stuff like that. I used to love to fly, but I, I what got happened? To, well, it t- would take you two hours to get to LAX, and when you got there, you have two hours of messing around with people who've got better things to do. It's just a nightmare. You feel like you're on your way to jail or something. You, you know, you. F- it's a horrible experience. You know, I just don't enjoy it in any way. So I'd rather drive the ten hours than put up with the five. That's funny. On the airline. And I love to drive. I mean, it's, be- it's, it's a beautiful drive. Probably know? creatively, it's great because you, your mind's on a different plane. My band are flying. But I don't have a fear of flying. I mean, I used to love flying in the old days, in the 80s. You could smoke cigarettes. You could drink, you know, the whole flight. It was, it was a wonderful experience. That's what we got to get to. First of all, so Gene loves it. First of all, the name. How, how did you come up with the name? Gene uh, loves Jezebel is such, such a, a distinctive name. Yeah, well, it's pure chance. My wife at the time, I was married very young, was uh, at St. Martin's School of Art, and we used to go to all these little art parties, you know. And my brother and I, my twin brother Jay and I were pretty flamboyant, dressed up, used to wear a lot of makeup and whatever else. Um, I mean, it's a very bohemian scene. It was a very fun scene. And some guy asked us what our names were, and Jay, for some reason, said my name was Jean, which we we haven't discovered why yet, and called himself Jezebel. And the guy said, does Jean love, love Jezebel? And we thought, well, wow, it's a great name for a band. Gene loves Jezebel. Of course, this was an era when everyone's band's name was the this or the that. Talk talk. I, so, I yeah, always yeah, practice like, like <laughs> the song talk talk. By talk. I'm yeah. in a big country. By big country. Right, right. The album called Big Country. Like Jesus Christ, we don't need all the goddamn names. That's right, right. Eponymous isn't that what they call it? All the first records, yeah. <laughs> but there, that's 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 how the name came about. And we 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 were. A, our first break came with a thing called the uh, ICA Institute of Contemporary Arts Rock Week, which was a prestigious thing for new bands in, in London on the mall right down the street from Buckingham Palace um, and the guy they liked our demo and they said yeah we can play and we needed a name so at the time we were called Slavarian which we didn't like Slavarian? yeah it was just now, how, how did you get that are you, are you Slavic? no there was there, there was a play at the time I was working in a steel mill um, and we just started just three of us in a drum machine and we needed a name I was trying to think of something that was we had the twins, a duality, so the Slav and the Aryan. We'd done a lot of, uh, at school, we learned a lot of modern history. And I liked the duality. It was like black and white, you know, but a little more obscure, you know. So, and it just wrote really well, too. <laughs> but uh, I didn't like explaining what the name was all about, because it wasn't really about anything, but just being willfully obscure, to be honest with you, you know. So we wanted something a little more, you know, a little more colourful, more interesting. Said a little bit about the dynamic of the band, which was basically Jay and I, a duo essentially. But uh, so that's how we ended up with that. Now, when when did you know you wanted to be a singer? And but was it was it because like it's like I always talk to comedians and they all have they have the epiphany when they watch the they watch the Tonight Show. Right. But for you, was there? Did you watch the Beatles or did you? Also, no. What was, made you? What made you want to sing? When I was a kid, uh, my parents used to get this magazine, and the, each week they'd have a song with the lyrics on, and uh, <clears throat> then I'd buy the record and learn learn how to sing it. Um, I'd be about ten or eleven then. I remember I mean, the first ones I learned was uh, Leonard Cohen's 
that's no way to say goodbye. Okay. And then I realized, because I mean, you got to remember, we had these little monotape recorders. That's when you first heard your voice. Remember it was that? a revelation. Yeah, it was It was so funny because remember yeah. you would tape albums and you would right. sit there and you'd go, you'd, and you know Jose, my friend Jose De Jesus is in the studio. You would sit there and you'd hear like, you're like, oh, Kansas, dust in the wind. And right. Then, and then the, the DJ would be talking. And you're like, shut up, DJ. Right, we right. want to hear that beginning. And you'd tape it and you'd yeah. hear Michael Tears from WMMR going, Oh, this is Kansas. But so, so you would, you would. So I do that. So I'd play the song and sing along to it, and I realized I could sing. Essentially, I could, you know, I could follow the tune. It was in tune, and it was. Uh, I thought, oh my god, maybe I could be pretty good at this. So that's how it began. You know, I always wanted to be a singer. It wouldn't really matter what capacity, what kind of band it was. It could have been a reggae band. It could have been anything. I just wanted to sing and be on stage. So well, as as you were breaking into music, as you started a band, who were some of the the bands you listened to were they reggae like the specials or were they i mean because you would live well in that, England, that so was insp- that was very inspirational that era bands like the specials you know the madness and uh susie and the banshees and joy division and i mean the late 70s and early 80s was really inspirational time you know uh, you know everything from uh you know speed metal heavy metal it was a really it was a really great time to be in music and it was post-punk i never i never liked punk rock by the okay. way you know at all. But my favorite year was probably the late 60s, early 70s in terms of music, you know. Um, the Doors, you know, the Zeppelins, the, particularly the early records. Uh, that was about it. I mean, there were some punk rock songs I enjoyed, but they weren't truly punk stuff like The Only Ones, Another Girl, Another Planet, or. Uh, but I ne- was never into the hardcore punk stuff. So, so what is it like? And, and I asked this just because I used to be very gorgeous too when I had hair what you and your brother are both good looking guys and you, you're going to start a band now now did you think when you started that band when you started you you just wanted to play music and then later you had a great look but right. what how did you decide i mean how did you guys write songs because you you, you were the first got I, I read you're the first goth band how did how did how did you come up with the music you wrote because the 80s was to me is one of the most influential musical well, scenes i think the one of the, the records that really influenced at least myself in terms of how to approach was Pill, Public Image's first album, Metal okay. Box, and Astral Weeks, Van Morrison, where they're really free for all, free association, you know, Patti Smith horses, land, things like that. That's how we started. Uh, that's how we started making music. I mean, there was a few rules we had. For example, no guitar solos or anything was recognizable as a classic guitar solo. It wasn't allowed. Why? Why did Why did you say that? Because everyone had done it, you know, and it was you. You know, you do the intro, the verse, the pre chorus you know, the the pre chorus, the chorus, repeat, guitar solo, breakdown and out, and it was like it was so cliched, you know. So what we, I, I you, you really only have a very small space to make any kind of, you know, uh, any any kind of statement in music because everything's been done before. So we tried to mess it up. For example, we we wouldn't put in choruses until the very end, or we'd start songs with choruses, for example. But it was a an organic thing. We started. We didn't know what we were doing, and just you just get in a room together and you start playing and singing and things develop you know now did you guys did you guys have a certain writing process it sounds like you didn't it sounds like you just play but did you write the lyrics or like who because like, you and your brother who wrote the lyrics who wrote the well we both wrote lyrics mine tended to be a little more left field a little more i guess poetic people have called it you know um and jay would always be more i would say t-rex you know uh Glam rock in your face, you know, pour some sugar on me was probably something he would probably write, you know. He did have some obscure ones and a little left field songs like Upstairs and uh, Stephen, which are beautiful songs, you know. But he was very good with melody and I was really good with choruses. So So you start writing them and you're in art school and you, you had this tape. You decide to put a band together. Now, when does shit start breaking? Because you guys, I mean, you blew up in the US and I, I know, and I've talked to people who were huge in England, mm-hmm. but they weren't huge. And you, you came in when, MTV was actually MTV. Like right. it was not. Well, this is the weird thing about. Well, t- two answers. Uh, we never made that many videos, which is really bizarre for a visual band, you know. Uh, in the UK, we, I basically, my my guitar player and I walked around all the record companies in London, just dropped tapes off. And uh, Situation Two, which is Beggars Banquet, liked it, and they they put us on a thing called a a, a rock event where they put all these bands together. It's basically an audition, you know. And we ended up with a record deal. Um, we'd barely played live, probably three or four shows. How, how, how old were you when it happened? Probably uh, early 20s. So but I started, I started late because I was married when I was 17, what? 18. I, I little... How does that happen? You get an erection, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you say you're your early 20s and you have a record deal, which now it's so funny. Now, well, it was very like, competitive in the, in the early 80s. I mean, there were, you, had to have, you had to have an angle, which okay. was always your visual thing. Oh, no, I and then you was bought. We, we, were, we were twins and fairly good looking too. And, you know, so it was a shoe in for us to get noticed, you know. Now, how did you, because I, mean, I, mean, I was going to say the record deals back then. It's a, if you get a record deal, it was a big thing. Now it's like, I oh, got a record deal. Like, yeah, I, I have my shit on uh, iTunes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know every comic puts an album out. They've been comedy for two years. They go, I have an album. I'm like, you know, an album. It's not on. It was to like, mean you know, in the day it meant something. It was, it was very amazing. competitive, and uh, there were relatively few labels in the UK. I'm sure America's much the same. It's not really that many labels. You got the four or five majors even in the day, and then you just have subsidiaries. You know, at, uh, smaller labels. Now, were you very trepidatious when you started out sitting? Or were you very uh, worried because you signed a deal and you didn't have a lot of stage exposure and you know if you sign a deal they're going to send your ass out on the road so were you were you a little worried or did you, didn't you, doesn't happen like a, you, the uk is really small you remember you could put the uk into california about two or three times okay. so you can get from one end of the country to the other in six seven hours so you but, could always be home every night. That's the real point. <laughs> but the live performing, were you were you excited for it? Or were you nervous? Oh, we loved it. it. Yeah, it was it was very exciting. You know, you, you say you were trepidatious. trepidatious. Uh, there was fear there, but there was joy in that too. But uh, we we built up a following really, really quickly. We went from playing one or two shows to suddenly selling a thousand, which in England was big in those days. So. Um, I mean, Jimmy Page would play places before us with Paul Rogers, and we'd pull more people, you know. Wow. But it was a really underground thing. Our indie records would be you know, one and two. We'd sell in the thousands. But uh, we didn't even want to come to America. It was pure chance we did come. We were supposed to play a, a tour in uh, in Italy. But there was a big event with the soccer, the Liverpool fans in the in Milan. And, and there was, I don't know, a lot of people died in this soccer game. So they didn't want to see any British bands over there, just for our well-being, you know. So uh, I'd met a guy who at a club in New York, Dance Interior, and I called from Baker's office. I said, do you, could, what, why don't we go over? I mean, America was a thousand miles. The U.S. was a, a another universe. No yeah. one went there, particularly from the, where we came from. And uh, this woman said, yeah, come on over. And she got us some flights, and we played the Dance Interior in New York, and... That's our first experience of America. It was fantastic. So it, it was a ran, it was a random thing. I mean, it, it was random. It yeah. wasn't for the soccer match where people died. Yeah, you would have still been in England. England, yeah, yeah. We, so, we, I mean, inevitably would have come, I think. But at the t it didn't occur to us, and we had no desire to come to America. You know? Now, did America get shocked by your music? Did they love your music. I mean, you said it was a, a success, but it was, as I said, it was it was, it was different. It, but it, it, it was good tunes. But you guys had a different look. You 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 were made. I mean, before heavy metal glam you guys were the glam guy i mean you guys look great yeah but were people like what are they doing or how did how did how did the first few crowds react to you uh, i think they embraced us you know i think we really appealed to the the, the more left field you know the the, the the hipsters i mean that was the first thing but uh we still i think we ended up doing like 55 dates in 85 our first tour a tour that started with about 12 but they kept adding them. So they said and the time we got to the West Coast, we did six shows, sold out shows at the Roxy, which was amazing. It was amazing. So, yeah. so you guys were booked for like a few few cities, and all of a sudden they just said, oh, we have this, this, this. Okay but you're on their dime. They're paying for you, so you, you can't complain. No, it wasn't. We made it. We paid for, we've no, paid no, for everything? No labels ever paid for our tours. We always made, our, we always made enough money to cover ourselves. So. so what was it like, I mean, playing the difference between the English audiences and the American audiences? Because I, I think, you know, I think English, I'll be honest, I think English appreciate music more. I, th I think U.S. audiences, I was at a bar the other night, and I was talking to the bartender, and she was 28 years old, and she had no idea who Bruce Springsteen was. Good for her. No idea. Oh, no, come on. I, I'm from New Jersey. I was like, how are you 28? You don't know who, they didn't even know his name. And the thing is, because I, I think Americans are stupid when it comes to music. I think English are study. Like, I talk to my friend David, and he talks about, you know, all the old school and the Smiths that and this and blah, blah, blah. I said, Gene loves Jezebel. He's like, oh, oh, mate, I I love them. Uh, that's, ask that's, about this. That's see, that's a reverse thing. experience for me. I find really? Americans to be really knowledgeable. At least the people I run into, the shows that I do, or whatever we do, the I, and I've always found Because there are Americans coming to see Gene Loves Jezebel because yeah. they have a brain. Already, yes. They're, they're already, I guess, cultured, <laughs> I suppose. So, did, did you like the audiences over here, though? Of course, yeah. Wonderful, yeah. 
so you're playing and now all of a sudden you're a big band in the 80s mm-hmm. which for me if i was ever in a, a band i think the 80s would be the time to be a rock star because definitely that's yeah. the best time what was i mean i want to ask and you're a good looking guy what's it like being a good looking rock star in the 80s just, just, just give me, give me five, give me five good stories. Oh my I god! Hear, I, I want to hear five good stories, and that won't incriminate you, or and don't mention names. I want to hear five good stories. All the good stories are incriminating, of course. <laughs> I mean, it was the usual stuff. You know, people would throw drugs at you, women would throw themselves at you. You take advantage of both those things. You know, sometimes <laughs> on a few occasions of the same day. You know, a lot of times you didn't sleep and you thought you have a heart attack. Um, but, you know, we, there, there was a lot of fun, too. We met a lot of wonderful people. My my favorite time in Genoth Jazz Hall was our first show, was when we weren't really that well-known, where, where there'd be hundreds of people come to the show as opposed to thousands, you know. That's when you met a lot of really interesting people. You know, you, it was a new country to us. You'd you love going to Colorado, over to Hawaii. You know, it was just a wonderful world. It was a great time, you know. And you get more, the more... The better known, known you become. You know, that bus journey or that train ride becomes dull once you've done it a few times, you know. But uh, I still love to travel, though, yeah. But Now, what, what's the biggest crowd you played in front of? The biggest crowd we ever did was actually in L.A. was the uh, street scene. Okay. And that was half a million people or something ridiculous. Do you remember that? It was the last one they ever did. And someone got, someone died. It was outrageous amount of people. I went to the street scene in San Diego. I, I never went to one in L.A. Oh, here it is unbelievable. The one in San Diego is huge too. Really? Okay. But so, so, but what is it like? Is, what do you feel better about playing in front of a small crowd or a huge crowd? Because I think in a small crowd you can be more personal. But in well, a huge I'm, crowd, I'm pretty funny guy on stage. So the, the when you play to a big crowd, we just played a Super Bowl thing in Arizona. It's about six, seven thousand people. And it reminded me how awful it is to play to large crowds because you're really just talking into this this mass. You can't really identify with anyone. So uh, in a in a club, you can hear people could talk at you and yap at you, and you get you know it's it's fun. You can respond, and you've always got the microphone. You're louder than them, which I've pointed out to them many many times before. You know? exactly. So <laughs> what's funny about the Super Bowl thing is uh, my friend Barry Sobel hosted that. It was an '80s show at Super Bowl. Right, that, that was us then. It was, okay. you, it was you guys. I think it was Drama Rama. And a few other bands, right, right, which is great because the eighties, the eighties live. So, so you're playing, you, you get the deal. Now, do you move to America or do you stay in England? Oh, I live, I live down the street. No, but no, at the time, when, when back in the eighties, did you yeah. did you move here or what made you I, move over here? Well, I split up with my brother and we had a big falling out, um, and I just didn't want to be around any of them, you know. And I lived, I had a flat in London. I decided to come to to live in LA. Now, what? How how did that happen? You guys are in a band. And you're successful, mm-hmm. and your gene loves Jezebel. And I'm sure people think, "Well, that's gene, that's Jezebel, whatever." And you're twins, right? So you always have that. Everyone says twins have that certain correspondence. Was it creative differences, or or what happened that made you guys? Because you were popular. It wasn't like you were you were a garage band. Right. You guys had records. You had things. What what was it just? Siblings. I mean, I know my my sister pisses me off. Or what happened? Uh, it was actually very difficult working with him. We rarely wrote songs together, and we rarely sang together on record. Most of the t- uh, on live is when you hear us singing together. I mean, there are exceptions, but uh, I think it was very competitive. You know, you got to remember, there's only ten songs on an album. <laughs> right. So there's two guys who can both write. Um, so it was it was comparative and difficult. You know, but. Uh, it worked for, what, five records. That was fine. So you did five albums, and you sit there, and then you guys break up. So now the band's broken up, basically. What do you do as a musician? Where do you find your influences? And, and you sit there, because, I mean, it's like anything. It's like a comedy team or a writing directing team. You're, you're basically by yourself now, and, right. and and you've lost that security blanket. Where do you where do you go? What is the personal shell you go into to sit there and go? I have to write stuff on my own. I got this because my well, guys. for me gone. it was totally liberating because, like I said, there was only a, you only had limited opportunities to actually write songs in as we were in Gene Love's, the two of us writing Gene Love's Jazz, and we rarely wrote together. I mean, we would, you know, I tidy up some of his stuff and whatever else, but uh, but it's, it was wonderful for me once I. Been pushed out of Gene Love's Jezebel. I made a, a lot of solo records, which I'm really proud of, which had great reviews. Of course, I didn't have the muscle of a major label behind it. That was the only downside. But the upside, I was free to write, and there were so many subjects I could write about, you know. I mean, I had 
started having children. I've been married 25 years, you know, so uh, plenty of politics to draw upon and what's been going on, the, you know, the last 20 years in this, in this, on this planet. So I've, ne- I've never been uh, short of sources, you know. So the solo albums, you sit there and, and you sit there and you go, I want to write a solo album. And are they more acoustic or? Did, I mean, well, one you... of them's really acoustic, which I'm really, really proud of. It's a what, joy. What's, what's the name do. of that? Uh, why me? Why this? Why now? Now we can find that on iTunes. Or how yeah, I would have brought one. I could drop one off if you're going to be. I mean, I, I just live down the street. I'll you drop live down the street. Yeah, but I just yeah, very close. We got to meet for a pint one time. Definitely, I would, I'd love yeah. to get a pint and say I'm hanging out with the guy from G, and we'll you bring do. Jose along with his Philadelphia Philly shirt. If you're buying, I'm drinking. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll buy you a beer. We'll, All right. Meet meet us after at, at 1.30, because I've not got you. We're, we'll meet you at. Uh, I never been. You ever been to Champs? I can't do it. You don't like champs? No, my it's my wife's birthday. Oh well, God, I'm thank so, you for coming on the show. Now, what's your wife's name? Uh, Margaret. Now, how did you guys meet? Now, did you meet in England or over here? We met. Uh, I'd moved basically. Well, I hadn't really moved, but I was living six months in LA, six months in London, um, and I used to I used to live right opposite the Viper Room. Okay. Uh, and uh, the little Tudor buildings there. I always, I, I always wait. Was that your first place? I always ask people the first place they moved in LA. That was your first place. That was my first, yeah. And yeah. how much? You probably back then you paid how much for rent? Nothing. It's pretty expensive, a thousand dollars or something. Which now that's like four thousand. Jeez. Right. How'd you find that place? Uh I just looked around. I knew the area. I wanted. I wanted to live like the sun's right on sunset, and I did, I like I love to walk, you know. So, but anyway, this is how I met her. There was a, a place called Book Soup. Do you remember that? Yeah, it's still open. Yeah, it's still going. Yeah. But in the day, the only way you could find out what was, what was going on in England is get newspapers, which used to be two or three days later. So you'd find out what happened on Monday, on the Wednesday. <laughs> so to follow my soccer teams or whatever else was going on Who's there. Who's your team? I'm uh, a Tottenham fan. Me too. Oh, good. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Since ta- I was seven, yeah. I'm going to tell you I'm a Tottenham fan. Yeah, I'm good for you. <laughs> my, and there's not Americans who are Tottenham fans. My friend David, he's from England, and he's a Manchester fan. And he sat there and he was going back in and he goes, Coop, he goes, I want to get you a soccer shirt. I go, okay. I said, here's the deal. I don't want Tottenham. I don't want Chelsea. I don't want Arsenal. He goes, why? I said, because everybody loves them. Just right. get me a damn shirt. And he right. brought me a top. And it was one with a, the girl with a Thompson logo. And I became a Tottenham fan. Right. Time. And you're a Titan fan. I'm a Spurs so fan, yeah. Now we got to go. Now we have to get a pint one. Well, day. we got to watch. Well, we we have to go and watch a Tottenham game. Yeah. I mean, you know, on a, the local screens here. But the season's almost over. So. Yeah. And it's. So and, and, and Spurs don't. Chelsea's up. Chelsea have won, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, so you're at Book Soup. So, yeah. And I see. I see this attractive woman and. Uh, over time, I'd see her there quite often. It wasn't like I walk up to her and hit her. I don't have that confidence even then. You know, I'm fine in a, in a concert situation. You're a rock star. You could have more confidence than anybody. Uh, well, you, once you're taken out of your, your comfort zones, which is essentially <laughs> a dressing room, a stage, or a club, you know. But I, we, I eventually started to say hi to her, and I asked her for coffee once, and uh, 25 years later, we're still together. That's five amazing. kids. Yeah. Not five kids. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you are, did I did go to like the good school? You live in Burbank. Live in Burbank. Uh... My wife teaches at Notre Dame, so one of the best. She could, the kids schools. could go to that school, but uh, she, my kids don't want to go there. And Burbank schools, which is why we moved to Burbank. Public schools are excellent here. So now, did did she know your music when she met you? No, no. She's a lot younger than me too. So I, you know, how old is she? She was eighteen when I met when I met, and I was in my early thirties. Oh man! The it, first thing I said to her was, "Rockstar." Uh, my my, girl, <laughs> jo- my girlfriend's beautiful, but I'm fifty-one and Joanne's forty-eight, and Joanne looks. People think she's thirty-five. Right. But man, rock stars! You guys, you guys have the like. You guys are like Tom Brady. Like you guys are all handsome, right. and you, and you, and you're. I guarantee your wife is beautiful. I. What do you think, Jose? Well, my wife's very smart too, which is rare, and that's you know? great. So she's mean, really smart. So, so, so you you come over to you come over to, and you meet her and you get married. Now, does that does that change your uh, writing style or your musical? It changed. It changed entirely. I mean. You, you only really have two choice. You, you only have a few choices. Like once you start having a family, you have children, you're nurturing. You don't really. You can't suddenly be doing the rock and roll thing again. You don't have the time to write as much as you used to, and you certainly can't tour like you used to. Because you're going to be away from your family. And uh, and I was. I come from a large Catholic family, so I was raised. My parents were totally solid. You know, totally supportive. They were there. You know, there was, mind you, this is a long time ago. I mean, divorce was a rare, rare thing in the 60s I, I, and 70s. I you know, my, my parents were married before my dad passed. They were married for 60 odd years. And I remember right. growing up, I mean, I'm, I just, I'm 51. In my neighborhood, if someone got divorced, it was big news. Like, Absolutely. Oh, yeah. 
such and such got divorced. So there was a big family institution. And I think that's when I got divorced, it it was awful. I felt like I was a failure. Even though my ex-wife was a psycho. I said, well, you know. They're all psychos. Come on. (laughs) But but so for you, so you're a rock star and and, and your wife doesn't know you're a rock star. She was too young to catch that wave and but what is how does she react when she finds out like she goes oh wow well my i was still on stage. i still had, I had a big deal with uh, virgin records and i was supposed to fly out to new york to do some mixes i to take that it's enough funny you know <laughs> you just take it for granted yeah, oh wait yeah. what are you doing the weekend i'm going off to new york yeah. to do some mixes <laughs> it's crazy you get spoiled and you you know well i think it's, it's you're so caught up in the moment that that's your life and, and, oh. that, and that's the same as you know let's say you know a lawyer who goes oh i got to fly to Chicago to do a case or right. one of my good friends is a pilot my friend Frank and he's like oh I'm in town in Burbank so I think it's your job but the funny thing is you, the funny thing is people don't take it for granted but when you're a rock star it's different like when, when someone sits there and they go hey man they go oh, I gotta go do this and most people are like wow if, yeah, if you were a lawyer <laughs> they go they go have a good trip right. but for you they're like oh, what wow. oh my god so so you were, you were flying so your, your girlfriend got used well, to well but she wouldn't she was too young, you know. Um, she was 18, 19, Catholic, virgin. She could run off with a guy in her early 30s to New York. You know, what's <laughs> this is beyond buying dinner. There's probably expectations in that package right there. So she wouldn't. She said no. And she's never been to New, New York since. She's never been. She's never been to New York. But I've taken her to Peru. I've taken her to, you know, New Orleans. Uh, she's been to Portugal. She's been to London. Why haven't you taken her to New York? Because I... The only time I've played there has been on these small tours and we're driving and for her to, if I'm playing a Friday night on the Saturday, I'm playing Boston. So it's never been practical. Take you know? a vacation. She's got to see New York. Well, we also got, we got a kids from 19 to one's a four year old and she won't leave the four year old. You know, we played Hawaii a couple of years ago. Perfect. There for six days. Oh no, I can't go. I can't leave. I said, well, no. Anyway, she didn't come. You know. It's funny. And then after, all she does is bitch about it. <laughs> well, it's funny. No. I told my girlfriend. I said, because uh, I said I used to record on Tuesdays, and you said uh, I can come on Tuesday if 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 you have snacks for a four year old. That totally cracked me up. So, but that, now that's that's that must drive you. I, I mean, a four. So you have a nineteen year old. How old mm-hmm. are your kids? Chronological. Well, my eldest is thirty six, and I got three grandchildren. Wait, you? Well, I told her I was married. How old are seven. you? I'm fifty seven. No way. Yeah. He, no. <laughs> the guy looks like he's like four. He looks better than me, and I look great for a bald, cross-eyed guy. But uh, you really? So mm-hmm. so a thirty six year old. Yeah, and he's got he's got two of his children. This one of his, his last child was born four, uh, 11, 11 days within my. My youngest son, and I remember posting on Facebook, and everyone thought it was m- my son had come, but it wasn't. It was my my son's son. It was my grandson. So, but yeah, I have a four-year-old. I love kids, though. I absolutely love them. Absolutely love them. They're great company. My boys give me no trouble at all. They're great. But at fifty-six, my friend, my friend has a three-year-old, and my friend Mike had uh, the kid three years ago. Mike is fifty-two. And he was 49, and he said, man, it's exhausting. Alan Ruck, who played Cameron on, on, on a Fire Spiller's Day Off, was on my show, and we were talking about it. He's 59. He had the, a, a son at 57. And he goes, yeah, well, my go. kid's in college. I'm going to be close to 80. How does it not exhaust you? It's easy. What's, what's to exhaust you? What do you have to they do? They run around. They Let them run around. I got a trampoline in the back. I take him to the park. He's good. His kids are easy, you know. I never understand. If you're having problems with your kids, there's something wrong in the in the household, in my opinion. You know. Tell me about that. What do you? What do you... Well, it's like even when they're babies, I, people go, "Oh my God, you'll never sleep again. You'll be up all night feeding them." Well, she's got a breast. Right. That works. <laughs> you know, it's harder on the woman, I would say, but it's not. It's not exhausting. You know, I love kids. When when they're babies and you put them on your chest, oh. that is a joy you can only have if you have your own child. It's. I had a cat. <laughs> I never had kids. Cats are close. Cats were right back. I can imagine. But it's the same thing. It's just have that creature. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's my, one of my, my favorite highs of life. Is One is seeing my children born, well, how, which how, is fantastic. How's it being a grandfather? Because, I mean, everyone thinks... Well, they live... My son's in the the American Navy, the, the Navy, which is weird, right? So, But I, I, my sister's son is in the Royal Air Force, so... This, Coming from someone who's really left field and, love, you know, 
essentially being a communist. You know, my kids have really gone the. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. But where, where was I? What were we talking about? Uh, no, oh, grandchildren. Well, he lives now in uh, uh, DC or Dallas, actually, because they move them around. So I never see them. They've been over once or twice, but I can't play the granddad role because you, they're not here, you know. But how is it? How is it for your kid? And I always wonder because, as I said, you're 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 a rock and roller. You still play. You toured. You've had best-selling albums. You've been on MTV. You you know you you were the movement of the goth scene before goth was goth. You That's guys right. Being, yeah. you, I mean, you guys were. I mean, basically. Well, we never liked that. We never liked them calling us that because we we were just a. Uh, a really good rock and roll band, essentially, that wrote some great words. You know, I mean, they, you could call Led Zeppelin a, a goth band, in oh, yeah, term, course, you know, course, easily. Course, you know, all the doors. Yeah. You know, <laughs> definitely the doors. What is it like for for your kids to sit there and 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 did, if do they do they listen to your music? Do they do they sit there and go, wow, my father has made a contribution to the music scene, or do they sit there and go? I mean, did, did we we talk never talk. Them? We never discuss it. Like my eldest son has brought a couple of girlfriends home, and they've asked. They've brought records for me to sign, which is weird, you know. Because so, that must be cool. It is, but it's strange because I'm like because when I was growing, my parents were listening to you know Diana Durbin and Frank Sinatra. You know, we we, so, we, listen, to, <laughs> we listen to Count Basie and Lawrence Welk. We had a, a, a stereo system. My right. dad put above the the kitchen in the kitchen with these cabinets, and he put nice. this up. And it was always on this Philadelphia jazz station. Right. And I listened to that. And I listened to that. And I was like, God, I don't know how I got into good rock and roll. I think I think I got in rock and roll because Pink Floyd, you would buy the album and you open it up and you could clean your pot because the seeds would drop down and you pour it out. But I, I don't know how I, my, my older brother got into music, but it's just amazing. So these kids, don't, I mean, do you feel humbled when you sign an autograph? Uh, I don't feel anything because you've done it before. To me, it's bizarre because the, you don't relate to the person they think you are any at any time. You know, it's. Uh, I'm sure Mick Jagger doesn't feel like Mick Jagger. He's probably just imagined this figure walking right. around. It's not. You, you don't inhabit that space. You know, this perception. You know. So, no, it's nice if someone likes something. You know, but it's. Uh, it's not like I'm so well known. People are going to be. You know, stop me on the street or bothering me. You know. So 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 when you guys broke up, it was hard to start over. I'm sure. It was easy. I got a deal. I came to America, got a massive record deal, and started doing it again. There were problems. Things went wrong. You know, I made some bad decisions. No, no, you know, no. But... When you got the massive record deal, was it as you? As was, me, was yeah, Jim? Michael Aston. Yeah. So, so it was just Michael Aston. It mm -hmm. was by yourself. Now, did you did you feel like you had to attach Gene Love Says Bell? Because especially back then, there wasn't social media. People wouldn't know right. particularly who Michael Aston was. How did you promote yourself? Well. I remember they wanted to put a sticker on the uh, on my record, formerly of Gene Love Jezebel, which I did not want at all. You know, I want to be in you know a new artist. You know, which is folly, I guess. But you got to remember, all things after two or three years with Virgin, or uh, we had some, I managed when I made some bad decisions and messed it all up and uh, put me back many years. To be honest with you. But hey, some of some of the errors were mine, so I, I can live with that. You know, it wasn't. A, what were some of the errors? I mean, was it was it musically or was it? Well, just... I'd made, I'd finished my record with Virgin and my management company at the time. It started a new label, and they offered me a hell of a lot of money to go on their label. You know, and I'm I come from a yeah relatively poor working class Catholic family. You know, eight kids, two bedroom house. Someone offers you a million dollars. You know. Oh yeah, you're, you're you're going to take it. I mean, no, so, no but it was a mistake because my gut told me. I've always listened to my gut until that point. It said, no, no, there's something wrong here. But they pulled the deal at the last minute. At this point, this is, this it probably would take two or three months. At this point, Virgin said, you're damaged goods. So that was the end of that. So they pulled it. So so you so you had a million dollar deal and they pulled it away from you. It was at least a, it was a million publishing, let alone the deal they offered me. So. Um, I followed the money. It was a mistake. I should have stayed with Virgin and com continued, you know, what we'd set up. It had taken a long time to get to that part. Well, not a long time, a couple of years, which is not so long with a new band. But but I thought I was, you know. So so where do you go from that point when you you, you didn't get the million? No. So mm -hmm. so now, and you have to be scorned. You have, you have to feel bad because you're talented. It's not like you're something. Oh, no, bad. it was, it was. But what, what, I felt, where, where do you go? What, what do you do? How do you get your uh, inspiration back? It took me a while to get all, well, you're angry. So uh, anger is a great inspiration. 
But uh, no, I was really wounded. It took me a couple of years to get over. Deep, deep. It was I was betrayed. You know, I've been betrayed a few times in my life. One by my old band, and this time by my management. You know, so. Now, how were you betrayed by your old band? Because they conspired to push me out of the band. You know, the band was doing really well. Uh, there was a lot of jealousy, uh, envy. So I was basically the guy that got most. I was the witty guy. The guy that got most of the attention. You know, um, they were jealous of that. You know, so. Did your brother? Did your brother start some of that? Because you are twins. Oh yeah, absolutely, totally, yeah. But uh, even when things weren't going well, I said, "Look, if you're unhappy, leave the band. You know, there's there's no reason to you know have any discord." The guy was crying. You know, I'm like, so then I said, "Screw it, I, I'll leave." You know, good luck to you. And they went on and uh, they made a couple of records, and their label went bust, and. We reformed eventually a couple of times at his bequest, you know. Yeah, how does that happen? Because I, I know, I know you came over to America, and mm-hmm. then and then you're here, and then you guys got back together. How does that happen? Is it is it like I've had arguments with friends who I won't talk to anymore. Right. right. It's different. One, your siblings, and two, your band. What are the steps that make you sit there? Did did he reach out to you and go, "Hey, Michael, you know, we need to talk"? Or did you? Well, say, I was making records on my own. You know, I've got to remember I've been doing this for thirty odd years, and I've never been without some record deal. <laughs> you don't need them anymore. But I've always had a label, even if it was an indie. So, and I've always had people around me who wanted to make me. Even now, people, you know, writing to me or sending me demos or begging me to come and sing something. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> But Jay was doing nothing, so uh, I did my first Why Me, the solo tour, acoustically, which was fantastic. How was that? Was that, was that great going, just you? Oh, it was wonderful. No band, yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's you in the audience. And you said you're witty on stage. Right, right. So it must be an amazing thing. How did you book that? How, how did that get started? Well, I, when I began, I didn't have a clue. I've learned so much. I've had to learn the other way around. It's like becoming well-known, not having a clue what really anyone does, from road managers to agents, not appreciating the people around you. To finally having to learn how to do it yourself, you know, booking the dates yourself or, you know, organizing the re- rehearsals or whatever else. But uh, but anyway, we were, we were in Boston and New York. And he was living in New York. <clears throat> and uh, he just begged me one day to reform Gene Luth Jezwell. Now, you got to remember, Gene Luth Jezwell was very deep, close to my heart. It's a band that I formed. A band that I fought for. It's your lineage. It's, 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 it's yeah, what, yeah. What but more you, than what that, I'm the guy that brought it out of Wales. You know, I'm the guy that put the people together. I'm the guy that auditioned. I'm the guy that did all the sleeves. So you're the producer. You, 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 I did you, a lot. When you, you, producer, were the CEO. you were the CEO. Yeah, but you got to remember, even, even even when they were, when the drummer was doing his snares, the game, the, the sounds, I was there to the very end, mixing with the producer, making big, when everyone else had gone fishing, you know. Right. So it was big, it's a lot, it's a lot of memories to me, you know. So I said, yeah, let's redo it again. It's magical. Michael and Jay, Austin, give me a break. Because, you know, you know, this is the Everly Brothers, but, you know, better looking. That's what <laughs> but the potential was huge. You know, we could both sing. Uh, we both have different ranges. It could, could have been much bigger than it was, you know. So we did that. Uh, then we played Portugal and he went through the usual shenanigans, you know, and I just said, oh. What are the shenanigans you talk about? He's spiteful he's mean he's conspiratorial uh, on stage ever on stage or? On, yeah, on stage off stage so it makes you look like a dick on stage he has been a dick on stage no yeah. he made you look like a dick on stage he's tried it's difficult because i'm so i'm sure i'm pretty sharp coming back you know but uh that's you don't want to see that on stage you know <laughs> so right. but uh then he tried to get the old guys back and i said okay we'll do that and then they stabbed me in the back again you know i'd put the tour together the agent got the label Guy broke my rib and then they sued me. He was like, bad, bad. So I'll never speak to him again, you know, ever. You never, you know, ever, ever. ever. I will will never come to his aid ever again or do anything. He tried to destroy my family. If if he was in a hospital dying, you wouldn't go see him? No, no. Now, what if you were dying and he. I don't want to. I told my kids he comes to my funeral to kill him, you know, so. Really? Absolutely hate him. I hate him. So now, now what happened with the lawsuit? Because I know, because it's funny, because the Gino's, it's funny, because Clive Farrington was on, who was in in, um, one in Rome, and him and his partner had had the same lawsuit of the, you know, one in Rome, whatever, UK, whatever. Now, you guys are in the same situation. Mm -hmm. So, no, now, how does. Now, you started the band. I know you're twins, right. but you you were the basically CEO. Didn't you know own the aim, name of the band? Well, Jay and I really owned the name of the band. Um, 
But when we got back together, I told Jay, no one can leave. This is Gina's jazz bond. If you leave, you lose the rights to that. That's the deal. Did you get it in sign? No, I did not. But it doesn't matter. He's my, he's my brother. You're going to make your brother sign something? Come on. Yeah, twin well, you, brother. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, I mean, but no, because now no, you, you do. Yes, of course. That's now, a lesson. In retrospect, you should have. So you tell him, you tell him, you go, do you understand anything? This is, this is the band, Gene Loves Jazz Ball. And I, you're saying, I own it. And then what happened? No, I, I didn't say I owned it at all. Uh, Jay was unhappy, as usual. Um, I said, fine, leave. No. They took my agent, my the, the tour bus that, that I'd hired. I'd got their flights. I'd picked them up. The I've done everything, driven them around the country, you know, 10 weeks. And they were going to just leave me with a broken rib on the side, you, on the side of the road. How'd you break your My rib? brother attacked me with he the help of his buddies, you know. They hit you. He attacked me. You know, we had a business meeting. He attacked me out of, out of nothing. I'm not a violent person. I've not had a fight since I was you 10 seem, years of age. You seem, you, seem very, you seem very mellow. I mean, you... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a violent person. One, I don't like the idea of knocking someone's teeth out. What the hell is that all about? You know, it's horrible. This guy, Jose, that's my muscle. So watch <laughs> out for him. He's, but Jose, I know it's a, Jose de Jesus for a good, you know, a good, you, a good hit job. I know what you're you saying. You never it's win. You can't win. Even if you, you win, exactly. you don't win. You know, so. But I was in a state of shock. So they took my stuff, took the band, and started telling the world that they were Gene Loves Jezebel. And it wasn't true. You know, I had at least as much rights as my brother to that band. So was, We'd signed a management deal together as Gene Love Jazz. Well, it was between him and I. They tried to pretend that they'd been together since 87 and never stopped. They hadn't done a record in like 15 years. And that flopped, you know. So I said, no, not this time. I don't care what it costs. And they had a couple of guys who were millionaires backing them. They sued me and lied. So the lawsuit was so laughable. My, uh, my lawyer just laughed at it. And they lost. So you so, and so now you come back. And and the website people is jeanlovesjezebel.com. Which, so which I had to which I had to petition to get back. Okay. Sort so, of, you know. So they they took the website over a while. I mean, cuz cuz Well, it was run by a fan, but uh, uh essentially the people in the band used this as a major propaganda disinformation site, you know. So it was just basically to attack Michael Aston, which was absurd because all I'd ever done is enable these guys and nurture them. So, I mean, the more, the worse they made it. What, what is that fable, you know, with the, the sun and the rain, with the guy in the overcoat, you know, the more rain you put down on someone, the tighter the coat becomes. Right. The sun would have, had, I would have taken the I would have given it to them. But because they were so vicious and, the, and such a vile smear campaign, I said, no. I'm not, you know, if it kills me, you're not going to get this ban. So you stood up yourself, which, mm -hmm. is, which is great. On my own. But, but what, what, what is that like? And I would just think, you know, you're in a disagreement with your uh, brother. I mean, it, it, was that very emotionally? It must have been draining. It was shocking to see someone's something was there under the surface, obviously for many, many years. To see this vitriol, this absolute white hot rage from this person who you would give your—I'd give my brother my my eyes if he was blind. That's how much I, I loved him. Can you give me an eye? Yeah. I, I'm blind one. Well, you're not my brother. <laughs> and you have, but you have beautiful eyes. Yeah. No, so, so you loved him. So, so was, it, was it just, it must have been taxing. Can, well, can you imagine to realize one day, and you, you've got, this is, this is over many years that, that we've come to this point. That you, at that point, you go to yourself, what did I do to make you hate me so much? What, about, what did I do? Did you ever get an answer? No? So you break up and your, your band... You get the thing. So now, how do you? What makes you sit there and because because you do you you you're doing your solo stuff. Mm -hmm. But at what point did you say you know what I want to get Gene Loves Jezebel back? And where do you start to? Well, no, you got to remember we did a Jane and I did a tour with a band we put together, not now, the old band but, but, in was, L.A. Was it was the were the new people against you or were they mutual hires? They were they were the new band. We'd okay. done Jane and I done this a few times, put new bands together. But this was a new band we toured for, you know, Hundreds of shows. We did hundreds of shows. Now, how was and then like let me finish. So um, Jay tried to pretend I we hadn't sat down and put a band together. He tried to pretend that the guys that he was with hadn't played with in five years were with the Gene Loves Jezebel. You know, we'd signed management deals together. In the even when I was doing my solo record, we made a new record with a, with the backer that I found in Chicago on the very tour he claimed he never even did in his lawsuit. So. That record exists. They wiped all my all my vocals off it, all my words off it. They changed parts of my songs and pretended that I hadn't made the record. It was a disgraceful campaign. It was Stalin-esque. 
you know, wiping away the truth, you know. And they've done the same with the past, pretending I didn't write any of the songs, taking all my pictures off the website. Just a horrible, pointless, stupid campaign. All they had to do is tell me what I wanted for Gene Love's Jezebel. I would have given it to them for like 5%. Right. You know, you want it that badly? Pay me for it. I put you back together. Oh, we don't want to pay you. I said, well, you pay a manager 20%. You can't give me 10 and just go. So then we fought and I won, but it cost thousands and thousands of dollars to fight. So now then, but you put the new band together. Mm-hmm. And now were these guys who you had played when you were on tour with your brother? Yeah, the guy, yes, Michael Cervoro, who played with uh, Human Dramas, still plays with me. He played, we played the whiskey the other night. So what's it like all of a sudden now? Now you're coming out and you have this freedom, and and and, and you 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 have the betrayal, and you have lawsuits, but now you have the name back, mm-hmm. Gene Loves Jezebel. And as when I look at the site, GeneLovesJezebel.com, you got to remember I've made four Gene Loves Jezebel records since, so right. and they're but, great records. So. so 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 was it easy to get back on back on the on the horse, as we say, doing those new records, or were you a little trepidatious because there's a certain thing people expect from Gene Loves Jezebel? Oh, no, I was driven. Because when people when people say you have no talent... Now, who said you had no talent? Oh, th- those guys. You know, they're, they're they put, they do, well, I mean, this is the stuff they put out there. This is all post-Gene Loves Jezebel heyday, keep in mind. So the real fans know the facts. They were there at the shows and they bought the records, you know. But... Uh, so it motivated me. Oh, well, if I listen to these songs, you know, there's some great, great songs, you know. A bunch of them have been different movies and TV things, you know, so they've been picked up and heard, you know. Now, 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 when, when you perform now as Gene Loves Jezebel, mm-hmm. do you try to keep the the same sound or do you bring some, Michael, did you bring some of your own solo stuff into it? Well, a lot of this early Gene Loves Jezebel sound is down to me, you know. The, when I left the band, was pushed out of the band, their sound changed. It turned into a more traditional like almost like an LA kind of hair 80s rock band you know when I was in the band it was far more atmospheric and then we brought that back so we play a lot of the new songs I mean we play everything from the first record to the last I try to put at least one or two songs from every record we ever made and it's a few things of my solo record which turns out to be like a 90 minute set but still but it feels like if if you're an old fan of Gina's Jazz and know my solo work it must be a great experience you know to see how, all the stuff we've done, you know. How do you make a? I always wonder how does someone make a set list? Because I always say that you see a band like I, I. I know you're not a Springsteen fan, but when I see Springsteen, no, no, I like. I mean, I like. A, I like a number I of his songs. Don't worry, Border, you know. But but when I, when I said that you wait, you wait, you wait for certain songs, and and then you look onto my set like the replacements. I checked, like they played L.A. and the first night they didn't play Skyline, which is right. their best song. Right. And you think they would sit there play? How how would you when you sit there? Do you have the same set list every night? Or no, we vary it. Mix, it. mix it up. But for me, I mean, I remember seeing bands many times, and they'd save their better known songs for the encore, which I really hated because that's really milking. That's an un, that's not a real encore, you know. Right. That's basically waiting for Ali and Frazier, you know. So, so I like to put all our songs and just play the set, and there's no encore. We just play everything we can, and it's done. You, we play for over an hour, hour and a half. And you've seen everything, you know. Do you play Desire? Yeah, we do every every night, yeah. Do you open with that? What, what do you open with? What, what uh, song do you open with? I usually open with this uh, Heartache is what I usually open with. We usually do a thing called... Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a really improvisational... Going back to the earlier, how we used to play live, we'd just be walk on stage and see what happens. So I try to bring that into the front end of the set. Like, so you had no set list when you started out? No, no. We'd have six themes... And those themes would basically be determined by the singers or what everyone felt like doing. And uh, that's that's how we got our record. And we didn't really have a song. The first song we really wrote was uh, Psychological Problems, which was my song. It was the first, it was the first song that was th- any form, proper form. The rest of the stuff was just a... Uh, Free for all. It was pretty amazing. It was amazing. Don't get me you, wrong. You, it was you, great. You ad libbed it. The, you ad libbed, yeah. yeah. And so someone just started playing. And, and a drama how, might how about start. the lyrics? What, what did the lyrics? Well, you know, you just, you just let them grab, flow. Grab them from the heavens. Yeah. That's amazing, though, because that's 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 because that's how you become a good writer, you know. And so she said, now now would you tape your shows and then go back and write the stuff down? We have, t- yeah, sometimes. I mean, I've show. We got shows from like the venue. We played with Nico. Uh, we played with John Cale. But, you know, in the early day and that that was our show and I have tapes back in Wales 
of those shows. And, John uh, Cale from the uh, the Velvet Underground. But Sam, we played we what we played two nights. One night we played with Nico, and the second night we played with a band called The Sound. Okay. A good, really good band actually. But the first night was fantastic, and the second night was a disaster. What what happened? What what made the difference? It just. Well, when 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 you when you're doing a performance, is performance art, which is what it really is, you're really dependent on good sonics. So the sound on stage was fantastic on the first night, but the guy we used on the second night just you can't hear. You know, you've got nothing to respond to. So it was it just becomes a, a parody almost. You know, but it was worth it when, when it did work. It was great. You know. So now now we're we're in the year 2015, and you're back with Gene Loves Jezebel. Are you also doing solo shows, or, or, or what? 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 What enhance? What? What makes your music heart tick? What do you? What do you? What do you do? I mean, do you? Do you write constantly, or do you? I no, mean, I don't write. I, I write really easily. Is what you could you could give me three ideas today, and I'll have three songs you by tomorrow. I write really, really quickly. You know, I respond really well to. Now, do you record them, or do you just sit there? Sometimes, and, well, I sometimes just sit down with my Mac and. Uh, Drink a few beers and r run out lyrical ideas and uh, melodies, and then the hardest thing to do is to find people who can match it. It's much easier to put a, a melody and a lyric to a bed, you know, than it is to get the guys to figure out what you're trying to accomplish, you know. What's your beer of choice? Uh, my favorite beer is probably Yorkshire Bitter. Okay. Uh, in America, I drink Boddington's, because British beer. I like you know? Boddington's, and it, but it I like a lot of the micro brews, you know. I. I don't get to go out that often because I have kids, but when I do go out, we'll go to one of those microbreweries and we'll grab We're, we're going to meet a Tony Darts away one day. Okay. For, right. uh, for well, I'm a big NFL fan. Do you like the NFL? I'm an Eagles fan. Who's I'm a Raiders fan. fan, yeah. Okay. So, I, have no I have no problem. As long as if so, you said you were a Cowboys fan, I was going to hit you in the head. I'm a hit. Okay. Well, a, I that's, always that's, that's the best. When, when a rock star goes, do you like the Cowboys? He goes, ah. He gave the cat sound. That's amazing. <laughs> right. How are you a Raiders fan? Like, how did that happen? Because when I moved, when we started having children, the Raiders were playing in LA. And where I come from, you always support your local team. So it was, my wife was going to UCLA. So I have a UCLA shirt. They are the Raiders are playing in LA. So the Raiders it could have been the Rams too. I could have gone either way, but I just like the the uniforms are so great. Come on, you know they are so. great, and, 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 they, and they do have a legacy. And, yeah. and, and, and NWA made their legacy. I mean, with the whole right. you know, the niggas with attitude, the, the, the that whole scene. There was a great documentary about it. Right, and and, and they sat there because it was. A certain thing. I mean, I, I have my I have my college Stockton Richard Stockton College, which is now Stockton University. Okay. I got sent this uh, thing, and I got I got to wear it and send it to my alumni because awesome. they sent me this. But it's Raiders colors. It is, yeah. But I took the a Kings. The Kings have stolen the Raiders colors too. So yeah, and the Kings jerseys look great. They're so, fantastic. So yeah. how often do you play live now? I mean, are you guys. I know I know you're doing a show in Vegas. That's why I caught up with you because I saw it's you. It's it's it, it's an amazing lineup. It's in September. Right. And what sucks is I have to go to a wedding in the beginning of September. Right. And if it wasn't, I would have told the lovely Joanne, "Hey, we're going out because it's you, flock of seagulls. It's uh my friend Nick Richards. It's, I think Easdale, John from Drop Right. I love John. He's a great. John's right. He he played he played an amazing version of. Anything, one of my favorite songs. Anything, anything. Absolutely. When he was on my show, and I was like, he brought his guitar, and I was like, I'm like, no one ever brings instruments. And then in the middle, of it, I was like, you know what? Screw this, man. He brought his guitar. Yeah. You got to play. And he kicked out, and he that that is one of the best songs ever. Right, it is. Song. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's so yeah. great. Yeah. So, so, now, so you're touring a lot, or what's up? Well, we're doing show like we do, like you say, the Vegas things, and we'll do wineries, and they're lovely shows to do. I mean, they're fantastic. They pay well, but you only end up like playing four or five songs. Is that hard? Is that hard? How do you pick just those big songs? Well, it's easy. You know, we, we had we had a lot of singles, so for us to do you know four or five songs, you know, you got desires, you got heartaches, you got motions right. of love, you got a lot of stuff you could play. But the songs I really like playing, are like we played the other like a week or two ago, the whiskey. It's we could play as long as we want because we're headlining, and you. you you get a you get a real memory of the performance. You know, it's memorable when you do these other eighty shows. And I do I'll do them. I got five kids, and you know the money's great. And cash, it's a job. Yeah. Like they come to it. They go to Mandalay Bay. The kids all go swimming. It's fantastic. It's awesome. Yeah. So it's like a vacation. I'll be happy to do them. You know, forever. But my favorite shows are the club ones. You know, but uh, but as you know, club shows are hard. You do these tours. They're they're grueling. And I love to drive. So if you said to me tomorrow, Michael, you've got to get up and drive to Boston, I'd be going, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that's my idea of a great way to spend your life on the road. You know? Now, now where did you play in Salt Lake City? We're playing uh, Liquid Joe's, which is going to be on uh, next Friday. 
And now, now is, is that is that a full set or is it full set? Set? Yeah, we'll play so, it 70, 80, 90 minutes. Yeah, and they'll they'll hear some of your music. They hear everything. Yeah, yeah. We have a good following in Salt Lake. It's really strange. It's always been. Uh, you know, it's a bizarre. Yeah. Do you, do you write new songs for Gene Loves Jezebel, or do you write new songs for you? Well, I'm supposed to be doing for Gene Loves Jezebel, but you know, I haven't decided. You know, these days, like you say, as people, I could write a song tomorrow, but on iTunes, it'll be it'll sell. It'll be, yeah, it'll be, it's amazing. So uh, we'll see. You know, we'll see. I'm not sure. We have five minutes left. Okay. What do you want to talk about? I always ask people the last five minutes. Well, we have three minutes left because I got two minutes of pitches. But uh, what, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what would you like? What is there a story you'd like to tell someone? Oh, I can't. You'd have to. I have to respond to think about you know any stories. But you're a musician. Uh, you 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 you're you're a smart thinker. What 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 was the most inspirational moment you ever got to write a song? Was it a death of someone? Was it meeting your wife? Or what 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 was one song you wrote? Either if you played it or not, it doesn't make a difference. What was one song that you sat there and went this? Well, the song I love, which I wrote myself, is called Downhill Both Ways, which is uh, on Exploding Girls, which means a lot to me. But uh, but I think of songs, I mean, maybe the greatest ones were things when we, our first single, the first time we ever heard ourselves on the radio, that's that's an amazing moment. At least it was in the day, you know, because when radio was really big. But we're driving down, uh, we're driving out to Bournemouth, which is on the coast in England, and we had some mixes, to, we had some recording to do. And a DJ, an American, or I think he's an American, Kid Jensen. Okay. It's a big show. And they put on Screaming for Emmeline, which is a really searing rock and roll, you know, tune. Um, we were, the guy driving, was, we were all so distracted. The song plays. We, we go like 70, 80 miles an hour. There's a deer in the middle of the freeway. And it, we're hurtling towards this creature, which has been hit by another car. And I'm like... <laughs> I, mean, I can't use the expletive. Grabbed the wheel and we pull. We managed barely to, you know, we could have died the second after hearing our, f- our first radio play. That's my real point, you know. That's crazy. So that's a that's a fairly good story. I just got to text. I'm sorry because I, I. No, by all means, the no, morning. I, I, that that was ignorant. Mate. I keep bang, banging the uh, table with my vape. Now, how long did you smoke cigarettes for? I, mm. you, I, I got. I gave my cigarettes when I got. Forty years. How long? Forty years. Forty years. And when did you? What? What, what made you? Give them up. I think uh, my eyesight started to go. I had just had my cataract surgery, which is it's amazing. I was born with a congenital cataract. <sighs> okay. And that's why I'm legal blind. Because back then, a I friend of mine has that too. But yeah. I was I was three years old, and, and that thing. You could see though. Not in this eye. But you can see what I got one when I was in the steel mill. I had a, an accident, a piece of steel when I, I, I right can eye. see in this eye. I can't see in this eye. But this is this one is blurry, but I, it's good I enough, believe. you know. So so but so what gave, what made you give up smoking? Uh, I was worried about going blind because I'd read you could. I was also worried about, I went to the doctor and he said, he wanted me to go on this, uh, what is that? It's something they give you to stop you having a stroke. Uh, hey, uh, yeah, a Pradaxa, I take yeah, it. But he gave, me a, he gave me a prescription and I, when I went online and looked at it, it said I couldn't drink beer. There's no way I'm going to drink a beer. I don't think life would be worth living without beer. I honestly don't. You I know. drink with my medicine all the time and I'm fine. My cardiologist but, uh, said I'm But great. this was two years ago, so I've, I'm doing fine so far. I'm not I'm not sure he was just trying to scare me out of smoking, you know, to be well, honest I'm glad, you, yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad you're giving us a show. Yeah. And so, so give, give, do you tweet? Tweet? Are you a Twitter? Do you Twitter? No. I can't figure it out. You know, to me, you send it out there and nothing comes back. You but know, it's the, like a relationship, you know. The, the, the <laughs> website is genelovesjezbell.com. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yes. And and the, and it's Gene. It's Michael Aston. Gene loves Jezebel. The fan page on on Facebook. Right. Right. That's your promo. There's two of them. Yeah. There's also yeah. There's Facebook. You you'll find us. You, everyone knows. Right. You know. You know. You'll see the blonde guy with a. You know. Well, people go go check out Michael Aston. Go Gene. Gene loves Jezebel. Uh, look at the uh, look at their YouTube. These videos are great. And and it's just it, it's it, and if you're an '80s person, they're even more amazing because. Old old guys like me love this shit, and 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 mm-hmm. new their new music's great, and uh, so yeah, check check him out. Also check me out on Twitter at Cooper Talk at Cooper Talk, and uh, go to my website coopertalk.com. Email me Cooper at coopertalk.com, uh, coopertalk.net actually, and uh, go to my new website stopthesalt.com. It's my cookbook. I'm very proud of. I wrote it. it's 120 recipes. Wow. Stop the salt, low sodium cooking for one without killing yourself. It's uh, it's all easy recipes, no no big ingredients, no pictures. Nothing intimidating. 
I sit there and I look at it. I, I'll look at recipes and I go, cumin? I don't love cumin. Yeah, now I, I, I went out and bought cumin. I you used know, that last night. Yeah, yeah you, you, but you have to go out and buy it. You don't just have it in your house. These well, recipes. I have for like 30 years, but you may be but, not. Yeah, but, well, <laughs> you, you're from England. You guys love curry. My wife's you a good cook. Got, be fair, fair but nice. buy that stuff. So that's about it. But make sure you go check out Michael and uh, go check out jeanloves.jezebel.com. Go check out Jose de Jesus. At uh, Facebook, the rock and roll DJ who uh, his right. wife makes amazing Puerto Rican food. And uh, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm nice. only as Kip is my guest. Don't forget, eat your, eat your vegetables, drink your water, take your vitamins. I'm out of here.